When I was in seminary, we had four chapels a week, and a professor usually gave the message, and he would stand here, and there would be about 20 or 25 of his colleagues sitting off to this side, looking right at him, or 20, 25 on this side, looking right at him. And there was this very subtle pressure, even among Christian academia, to see who could have the most letters following their name. And we had people with multiple doctorates, doctors in theology, doctorates in history, whatever, studied abroad, England, wherever, uh, and we would have postdoctoral work, all kinds of just brilliant people there. Well, my first year there, the graduating class decided to come up with their own award for the most humble professor and gave it to this one meek and lowly Bible professor. And this senior class went to his office, presented it to him. The man took it and graciously said thank you. And as Dallas Theological Seminary legend has it, the plaque, the award, with this little wire in the back so that he could hang it on his wall, that award went straight into his desk. Because how exactly can you hang a most humble professor award? (laughs) Are you a little slow this morning? I know we're waking up. Okay, we're waking up. Most humble award. What can you do with that? It's the award that you have to put right in the desk. You can't put it on the wall. I want to give you a visual image. Now picture two escalators, one going up, one going down, diagonally like that, in Nordstrom. Some of you can picture it better than others. <laughs> but if, if these escalators were to represent how you are trying to live life and how you view yourself and even others around you, would you be on the up or the down? Here's what I mean. Jesus Christ, as we're going to study today, in his humility... And how he went to great strides to sacrifice himself for us and to show his love for us as sinners is really standing on the down escalator. He lived a life, he pursued an agenda that really had no glory to it other than to give up his own life. Everyone else of us, if we're pretty honest, there are a lot of times we spend life on the opposite direction escalator. We are going up. And we know we're going and we're trying to conquer and we're trying to grab as much gusto in this life as possible and make a name for ourselves. In fact, anything, you know, if you're like me, you don't just, you don't just stand there when, when you're on the escalator because that takes too much time. You walk or run even though it's moving with you. And if you're super ambitious, then if there's any poor soul standing in the way, you push them out of the way so that you can get to the top as quickly as possible. And once you're on top, You say things like, I'm the king of the world! But maybe just for a moment. So who are you more like? Are you kind of more like the crowd? On your way up? Seeing the goal and the prize for that trophy, that honor, that recognition, that paycheck, whatever it might be? Or are you with Jesus? Living a life of humble sacrifice. Which one are you? Where do you want to be? In the book of Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at a passage that I think is the ultimate example of humility. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read this to you, and I'm reading out of the NIV version, so if you're reading out of your pew Bible, which is the NRSV, it will will differ a, a little bit in its translation, but it's the same 
Word of God. And as we read this passage, I want you to try to see in this passage humility before God and humility before others on a vertical relationship and also on horizontal as well. Listen carefully to the Word of God. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and I think the answer to that is we do, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and I think we would all agree that we have those things in Christ Jesus, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now, what exactly does that unity look like? Does it mean that we all think the exact same way about the situation in Iraq? You know what? If I, were to, if I were to say, I want 10 volunteers to come up here, stand at these microphones, and tell us what you think the United States or the UN should do with Iraq and Saddam Hussein, there would probably be very little unity in this room. There would be all kinds of different opinions reflected. And Jesus is not asking us here to all think exactly alike when it comes to foreign policy or how to get the country out of a downward spiral economy. He is now going to explain what he means by having the same love, being intent in one spirit and purpose. Verse 3. And I would say, if you don't know this by heart, you should memorize this verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, regard others as more important than yourselves. Look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. He's just not talking pie-in-the-sky theology. He continues in verse 5, and he says, We have an ultimate example of what that looks like. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ gave up his full rights as God, evacuated heaven and came to us, not only as a baby, but a baby born in poverty at a very, very difficult time in world history. When I, last time I preached back fall, I made a reference to the, the humanity of Jesus and how, as a brand new father, I was just so marveled that this little baby that God blessed Monica and me with was how Jesus came into the world. And he didn't come to Providence St. Joseph's Hospital in Burbank. He came to a stinking manger. And I made reference to the fact that, as a baby, Jesus had parents who took care of him, had to take care of his needs, had to function for him. And how humbling that was for God. Someone had to clean up after him. And actually had a gentleman in the church write me uh, a pretty thorough letter explaining to me that my words about Jesus were very irreverent. Of which my reply is, that is an accurate picture of what God did out of his love for us. It seems irreverent because it's such a humble move on God's part. I mean, think of it. When we get any position or title, we are the first one to grasp onto that and to claim and cling all rights. You want me to do what? Do you know what level of management I am on here? Have you seen my resume lately? You want me to do what? You want me to clean? 
Jesus did not grasp onto any of his rights as God, but emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant. And not just dying, but dying the most humiliating death that anybody at that particular time in history could experience. All because he realized that sinful people like you and me needed a Savior. There's absolutely nothing that we could do to save ourselves from our own sin, that we needed a Savior. And so he set this example for us. And the question I have for us this morning, Bel Air Presbyterian Church, is are we humble before God and are we humble before others? Do we have an accurate picture of who we are before God, needing his forgiveness and depending upon him utterly for the promise of eternal life? Let me just say something very clearly and very succinctly. If there are any of you in here who think that you might have a shot at getting into heaven because you are here this morning or because you are someone who is trying really hard to live a good life, you are, you are being deceived. You are fooled. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and realized that is the promise of eternal life and as a result of being so thankful for what he has done for us, that's why you do good works, then you are right on the money. Are you humble before God? Do you have that realization of your need for forgiveness? Do you know what you have been saved from? Just this past week, I had 50 middle schoolers, grades 6 through 8, and they were allowed to ask me at the school any question they wanted about the Bible, anything. It was rather interesting because most kids at that age, particularly right after school, have an attention span of about 20 seconds. And they were asking me questions like, if God created the universe, who created God? You know, like just little things like that, like you mildly entertain. <laughs> but one, one little boy asked a very insightful question. He said this. He said, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Why did God use someone like him after he had been a great persecutor of Christians in the church? Wow, I was thinking about that question too. That's a good question. And I can, you know, I think I refer back to 1 Timothy, where Paul at the end of his life said this. He said, This is a statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to die for sinners, of which I am the worst. Now, he made that statement at the end of his life after he had devoted most of his adult life to preaching the gospel. And on several occasions, he had almost died for his faith. And I think one reason why Paul was so humble and always saw his right standing before God was that he was present at the very first Christian martyrdom. Who was the first one to die for his faith in Jesus Christ? Stephen. When Stephen was stoned, and the people who were throwing the stones took off their coats and laid them in a pile, Paul was saying, hey, I'll watch your wallet. I'll watch your coat. And as they were lobbing stones at Stephen, and Stephen's head began to bleed, and his life was beginning to pass before him from this one into the next. Here's Paul. Where's the next Christian? And after Christ appeared to him in Acts chapter 9 and asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? and touched his life in such a powerful way and turned his life around? I don't think Paul ever forgot about the time that he was Saul and was sitting here going like this. 
And even though he knew he was forgiven for that sin, he realized in his humility what he had been saved from. And that is the same kind of humility that God is calling us to live. What about humility before others? Where do you see yourselves in standing with other people? What goes through your mind when you hear Paul say, consider others as more important than yourselves. Look out not only, not only for your own interests, but also in the interest, for the interests of others. Which is a very difficult thing to do in Los Angeles when half our time is spent on the freeway. But how do you go about living your life in such a way that shows that you have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus and live in such a way where some of your time is given demonstrating your interest for others. It is to be Christ-like. How can we be humble among each other here at Bel Air Presbyterian Church where there is, there is great diversity. Sometimes people who don't go to church here think, oh, oh Jim, yeah, you work at that church with all the rich people. Like, no, this is, this is, this is a very diverse church in many different ways, socioeconomically. Uh, you know what, just even the last six years, when I first got to this church six years ago, I can count on two hands how many Asians there were. And now we're just slowly, every year, little by little, taking over. (laughs) But how do you live in humility among each other? In such a diverse culture. Now I'm going to try something that I think that worked pretty well in the first service. It's kind of hard to tell how it's going to work because this is completely unrehearsed and I'm getting, I, 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 need, I need some volunteers. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call about eight or nine people up here. I mean, you'll, you'll, be, out, you'll be asked to volunteer. And uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to shoot for eight or nine people with a pretty different uh, spread of people in terms of Half men, half women. You're going, hey, if there are nine, how do you do that? Well, <laughs> um, and then even different ethnically. And here's how it's going to work. You're not going to have to say anything. You're only going to have to stand up here and move a step forward or a step back according to different statements I make. For instance, uh, let's say, let's, if your parents were professionals, like doctors, lawyers, engineers, Directors, producers, writers, take a step forward. So, all lined up here, you would simply go like that. Some would move, some would not. Another question is, if, uh, if your family had to move because they could not afford to pay the rent or mortgage, take a step back. So you'd have some people taking a step back, others right there. So, there are about probably 30 or 40 of these that I'm going to read. And so let's start with this. How about, um, do, we have a, do we have an Asian man in here that would volunteer to come up here? Some of you are getting very nervous right now. This is going to work, I promise. <laughs> Anybody? You're not Asian, don't worry. Yeah, you wish you were, but... <laughs> come on. What? All right, you got volunteered. Come on up. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> How about, how about an Asian female? No, you know what? Someone a little older. Someone a little older. Huh? Okay, come on up. Come on up. Great. Thank you. How about a Caucasian man? A Caucasian man. Okay, come on up. How about, uh, 
How about a Caucasian female? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go a little. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try, to, try to spread it age-wise. So you're a little older. See, so you look really young. That's a compliment. Well, now, now kind of, now I kind of hurt myself. Let's see. Okay. Yeah. Come on up. There you go. She's not very old, but she'll she'll do. How about? Is Rafer still here? Rafer left. Rafer Johnson's here. Come on up. We have an African male. African American male. And then how, <laughs> you need to be humble, that's why. Uh, how about an African American female? Anybody? Okay, great. Thank you. See, this is working out great. How about, do we have a, how about a Hispanic male? Oh, God. Okay. And then how about a Hispanic female? Anybody? Great. Come on up. All right. Boy, we're going to have some fun here. Some of you are getting very nervous, but don't worry. All the 9 a.m. people survived. Oops. Oh, that's okay. We're fine. We're fine. Now, why don't you, everybody turn and face me. Can I get lined up? Turn and face me. Can I go, yeah, just shoulder by shoulder. Be, be very careful about, we only have about a thousand attorneys in here, so everybody be careful, all right? <laughs> now, if I call you to take a step forward, then take a step forward about, about that much. You kind of run out of room because of all this. Just start, just start walking up the steps. And likewise, if you have to go back, obviously don't just take a blind step backwards. Turn around and look where you're going. And if you have to keep going back, go ahead and go. Just, just go down the aisle. Now, let me just tell you, the 9 a.m. service, you know, it's all within the lines, right? So they all felt like they had to remain, remain right here, and this is, they were kind of like this or like this. But you're going to be taking bigger steps, right? Just to make the make the point. A little more obvious, all right? So here we go. Ready? Here we go. Don't worry, I see you all. Let's see. Um, if you want a gold medal in the decathlon, take a one take one step forward. <laughs> If during the decathlon in the 1500 meter you were beaten by an Asian guy that looked like Jim Lee, take a step back. <laughs> okay, I tell you it's fun. Here we go. If your primary ethnic identity is American, take one step forward. If your primary ethnic identity is American, take one step forward. If you ever try to change your appearance, mannerisms, or behavior to avoid being judged or ridiculed, take a step back. <laughs> if you were ever called names because of your race, ethnicity, or gender, take a step back. If there were people of color who worked in your household as servants, gardeners, etc., take one step forward. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Don't be ashamed, okay? If your parents were professionals, doctors, lawyers, engineers, etc., professors, take one step forward. If your ancestors were forced to come to the United States, not by choice, take one step back. 
If you studied the culture of your ancestors in elementary school, take one step forward. Here we go. If you went, if there were more than 50 books in your house while growing up, take a step forward. If you ever had to skip a meal or were hungry because there was not enough money for food in your household, take a step back. If your parents brought you to art galleries or plays, take a step forward. If one of your parents was laid off or unemployed against their will, take a step back. If you attended a private school or summer camp, take one step forward. If you ever had to move because your family did not have money to pay the rent, take a step back. If you were told that you were beautiful, smart, and capable by your parents, take one step forward. (laughs) If you were ever discouraged from academia or jobs because of race, class, ethnicity, or gender, take one step back. If your parents encouraged you to attend a job or to attend college, take one step forward. If prior to age 18 you took a vacation out of the country, take one step forward. If one of your parents did not complete high school, take one step back. If your family owned your own house, take a step forward. If you saw members of your race, ethnic group, or gender portrayed on television in degrading roles, take a step back. If you were ever denied employment because of your race, ethnicity, or gender, take one step back. If you were ever accused of cheating or lying because of your race, ethnicity, or gender, take one step back. If you had to rely primarily on public transportation, take one step back. If you ever had to rely on public transportation, take one step back. If your parents told you that you could be anything you wanted to be, take one step forward. All right, now there are many other questions here, but for the sake of time, I want to end here, but I want to show, I want to give you a couple of observations. The person who is here at the front, what's your name? Spencer. Spencer. Unless Spencer, in humility, is thankful before God in terms of what he's, he has been given, if he in humility does not turn around and see everybody behind him, he sees nothing but his next goals. He sees nothing but his next pursuits or agenda. But look at what he has been blessed with. And it takes humility to make a conscious effort to see the interests of others behind you. Now back here with Rafer, you know what, from here, I can see every single person ahead of me. But if I'm Rafer, the temptation and humility is to be humble before God and to thank God for what He has today and not to be paralyzed by bitterness. But look at what we have just here in our church. Just here at Bel Air Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles. And you know what? I'm going to give you one more statement. And if you answer, if this statement is true of you, I want everybody to come back to the floor here, right here. If you've ever broken any of the Ten Commandments, (laughs) 
Now turn get down on the floor and turn and face me. You know what Philippians chapter 2 teaches? Philippians chapter 2 teaches that Jesus is in heaven. And he turned around and saw the human race in need. And he evacuated heaven. Did not regard his equality with God as something to be grasped. And came in human appearance as a servant. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he spread his arms in humility and said, I am looking out for your interest. I will die for you. Let's give our volunteers a hand. Where would you have lined up right here? How would you have felt if you had walked past one of your friends and left them behind? How would you have felt if you had seen one of your friends back up and you didn't go with them? A sensitive heart is a humble heart that looks out for the interests of others. Are you humble before God? Do you see your need for forgiveness? And are you humble before others and take into account their interests, considering them more important than yourselves? Hey, let's face it. We are all tempted to hop on that one escalator and just go one direction and make a name for ourselves. It's kind of a part of being an American, really. It's kind of woven into the fabric of our country. Just in case we are tempted to live that way, let me just, in closing, read words from a wise king. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. He who oppresses the poor shows utter contempt for his maker. But he who is kind to the needy Honors God. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lonely, better, better to be lowly among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. In the end, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Would you pray with me? Lord, we need your grace. 
Left up to ourselves, Lord, we will turn our backs on you and try to make a name for ourselves. We will keep moving ahead and refuse to turn around and see the needs behind us. We will never see our need for you apart from grace. We pray that grace would be alive and well in our own lives to make us more into your image, to thank you for the successes that we have, and to trust you with the failures that we experience. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.